Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. We started a few weeks ago doing a series just through the Gospel of John. There's all kinds of ways to study the Bible, and one of the best ways is just to take a book and kind of work your way through it, and that's what we're doing. If you missed any of those, you can catch it on YouTube, uh, catch it on our Facebook page, our iTunes podcast, kind of get yourself caught up, kind of get the narrative flow going. So today we're going to be, I'm going to read, uh, uh, one thing about John, he's wordy. You ever been around anybody that just talks a lot? You know, uh, Mark is the one that just, just, you know, like subject and verb, boom, that's it. John gives you all the details. So a lot of these chapters are very, very long, but I'm going to read uh, out of, out of uh, John 8. We're going to focus on a couple of sections here, so you can follow me along. <clears throat> John chapter 8 and verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, and all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Now, it's not uncommon for Jesus to be up early and to pray. Anybody a uh, early get up, early pray person, your devotions, you got to, you know, wit sometime. He texts me like at 4.30 in the morning, you know, and he's already been to the gym, you know. Some people are just like early, early risers, and that was kind of Jesus' pattern. We saw that many times. So he's in Jerusalem, and he gets up to pray, and he goes to the temple. Now, that's a cool place to pray, okay? I mean, if, if you can't get in the mood to pray at the Temple of Solomon, it's just not happening for you. So he goes to the temple, okay, to kind of have his early morning prayer, sun's coming up, hitting the temple, this temple that that God spoke to David, and he said, I want you to build me a house, and ultimately it turned out to be Solomon that was that built that temple, and do you remember on the dedication, remember the dedication when they're worshiping and singing, God's presence came down in the form of a cloud. They could not even see each other because it was so thick in that temple. Wow, what a great place to pray. I mean, if you can't get in the mood there, you're just not getting in the mood to pray. Do you have a special place to pray? Like, where's your kind of place? Where is it that you get quiet? Where is it that you, you know, can really kind of connect with the Lord? Now, we can't compete with the temple, that's for sure, but everybody's kind of got their place. I want to encourage you when you pray, find your place. Find a place where it's quiet. Find a place that you can connect with God, and he's there probably just trying to do some prayer, you know, just get with the Lord. And, and before long, people notice, hey, that's, that's Jesus. And they just started following him around, you know, kind of like your children when you're trying to pray, you know, when you're in your prayer closet and knocks on the door, here they come and they start, they start gathering around him. There's this crowd that is accumulating and I'm sure he just goes, you know what, hey, Let's just, I'm done. Let's just turn again to a teaching time. So he takes this prayer moment and he begins to, he begins to teach people. They're kind of gathered around. Verse 3, <clears throat> the teachers of the law in the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. What in the world is going on? Have you ever seen the show Cheaters? Okay. I, you better not have, <laughs> all right? You know, where they, they follow people around and try to catch them. I mean, is this what's going on here? 
I mean, you got people, you know, like trying to catch this hookup, you know, so they're, they're, they're looking down the alleys, they're following people, hiding behind palm branches, you know, just trying to be discreet, peering into bedrooms. No, that's not one. Sorry, we're supposed to be at the next house over here. They're just trying to find, you know, trying to find this, this hookup. Then all of a sudden, they find the right place and they burst in the house, okay? Let's don't think about breaking and entering. They're just trying to do God's work, right? And they, they find this couple in bed committing adultery, okay? It's said in the very act, okay? So help me to understand this. They catch a man and a woman in bed. The woman is guilty. The man is unknown. How does that work? Let me just tell you something about men. They are terrible human beings. Okay? They are low. Just remember, when God made us, he made us out of dirt. And we've been living down to that expectation for a long time. All right? They're, they find two people in bed. The woman is guilty. The man, where is he? And they bring, this, they bring this woman to Jesus. Now, it's early in the morning. They probably, you know, caught them still together. Maybe she's partially clothed. Who knows what shape, you know, what shape she's in. And they bring her, you know, they bring her in front of everybody. Okay, no discretion at all. They bring her and they stand her in front of everybody that is gathered and in front of Jesus as well, okay? What's your worst moment? What's your worst moment? What's, what's the, the one thing, I mean, it's just terrible. Your, your worst thing that you ever did, okay? The worst thing you ever did, what would that be like in the moment of the worst thing that you ever did? They took you and you, they stood you up in front of others, okay? The worst thing you ever did, and here she is. She's standing, she's standing, in, she's standing in, in public, you know, just embarrassed, full of shame, just, oh, man, this is, this is terrible. Now, let me, let me just stop here. While we feel bad for her in this predicament, I mean, we don't want anybody to be, you know, embarrassed and shamed like that, but let me just stop here and remind you that God's word never changes, okay? Adultery was wrong when it came down on the tablets in Exodus chapter 22, and it's still wrong even today. I don't care what the focus groups say. I don't care how the trends popularize this, what happens on reality, TV. It's still wrong, and it's still sin today. Biblical adultery, using the Old and New Testament uh, a definition, any romantic emotional involvement beyond reasonable and social business relationships and sexual relations with someone who is not your spouse, okay? Doesn't matter that it came down on the tablets a long time ago. It is still sin and sinful today, okay? We feel terrible about how this is working out for this lady, but we still want to draw the line here that this is wrong for her, and it was wrong for him as well. So how does this happen? How does adultery, how does it kind of happen? Is it like the, um, you know, like a random occurrence? We see that on TV a lot. You know, we just met eyes across the restaurant and fate, you know, took over and, you know, was, is it just kind of like the one night stand kind of thing? I mean, this, this couple, we don't know their relationship, but this is, 
If you remember my message from last week, this is at the Feast of the Tabernacle. This is the big feast that was going on in Jerusalem. There was a lot of celebration, lots of joy uh, for this, you know, for, for this uh, particular feast. And maybe, you know, they just randomly met, got carried away. Normally, that's not the case, but that, that can, you know, that, that can happen. Or a, or a decaying marriage. This is where a lot of it happens. When people find themselves <clears throat> with a marriage that is imperfect, and every marriage has seasons, wonderful seasons, and seasons that you kind of have to work your way through. And sometimes in those down seasons, people make very bad choices about, you know, about their, you know, their fidelity and their, and their marriage, okay? And I just want to remind you of something. If that's you today, if your marriage is not perfect, it, does not ma- it, is not, it doesn't matter how bad your marriage is at this point, it does not give you permission to look around. When your eyes begin to stray, your heart will not be dedicated to, the, to uh, healing the relationship. So sometimes it's a, a random occurrence. Sometimes it's a decaying marriage. Pornography is a huge or, or, or a regular influence on infidelity because it builds this fascination. It builds this fire in people's hearts male and female. It gets them, you know, pornography is not set up, you know, for the bounds of, of marriage and, and monogamy and it encourages, you know, just kind of puts flame or gas on a, on a fire. It plants a seed in people's hearts that one day will bear a terrible fruit. Or how does it happen the mental justification of this new relationship begins. Listen to me. The mind justifies what the heart entertains. The mind justifies what the heart entertains. Hey, everybody take a deep breath. Boy, it's quiet in here today. You're looking really somber, okay? This is just part of the message. We're going to get to some happy stuff, okay? The mind justifies what the heart entertains. I just don't love you anymore. We've grown apart. We were never really in love. I was too young. I feel trapped. I just need to find myself. Uh, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. It's better for the kids. The mind justifies what the heart entertains, okay? I'm a man. That's just the way we are. That's not true. That's the way rabbits are, okay? <laughs> the mind, inter- so when you start, when you, when you start putting this stuff in your heart, you know, the mind will begin to provide a justification for you to open the door to someone else. And any spouse who offers these excuses is trying to rationalize their adultery. They're trying to bring an intellectual excuse to a spiritual problem, okay? And then this fantasy begins. Someone walks into your life, but you've already, you're not happy with your marriage or whatever. You've already justified your out. You've already justified it. Then you act on it. <clears throat> and you never really think through sometimes the consequences of what happens because this fantasy is so powerful. And, and you, you see people doing it, you know, everywhere and on TV, you know. And then it, it hits and it happens. And your spouse, whatever you think of them, your spouse is destroyed, shattered. Okay? Your kids, 
Even if your home is imperfect and the relationship is imperfect, you have blown apart the emotional stability, even if it's imperfect, that they have known. Okay? Your relationship with your kids, your friends that you both have had, your church family, yourself, your self-respect, you know, here she is. Now she's standing in front of all these people. Wasn't part of the plan. Wasn't part of the plan. Everything's supposed to go smooth, you know. Spouse is supposed to be fine. Friends are supposed to be fine. Church, that's the way it is on TV, you know. I'm going to be fine. But it really explodes and it blows up, okay. And then, you know, it's your relationship with God, your relationship with God, okay? So there's, there's nothing about this that works and works well. Only in the movies, only on TV is there this seamless transition. You watch reality shows and you follow people on Instagram and, and, they, and you, see them, you see them move family to family, but they don't ever put the, uh, you know, the, the, the family catastrophe on, on uh, social media. You only see the, the smiles, okay? So I'm just telling you, it was wrong when it came down on the stone tablets in Exodus 22, and it's still wrong and it's still sinful today, okay? You got an issue with your marriage, your marriage can be healed, but adultery is not the answer for it. Adultery is not the answer Adultery is not the answer for it, so. All right, everybody take a deep breath. I'm moving on, okay? So they got this, this lady. I mean, I feel bad for her. I mean, what she did was wrong. What he did was wrong, but I mean, so they took her worst moment, and it is now public. Would you want that for your worst moment? <laughs> we, we call it uh, skeletons in the closet, and we lock the closet door. Your worst moment, I mean, it's public, it's public. Not only is it public, it's in, it's in front of Jesus, okay? All right. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to cast a stone at her. So he acknowledges the law of Moses, okay? Yes, but he's saying, too, that there's a higher law, which is the law of grace. Are we thankful for the law of grace? Okay. Now, listen, I want you to remember something. Because there are no perfect Christians does not mean that there is no condemnation for sin. People do this sometimes. I see it like on reality shows, you know, like, well, you're not perfect, so you can't point a finger, okay? So this is kind of a modern-day justification where you can never really be held accountable for your behavior because, you know, like if there's hypocrisy in everyone, then the law must not apply. And I'm just telling you that's wrong. If everyone you know commits adultery, then we can't go, well, we're just going to ignore that law. God's word still stands. God's truth still stands. You can't go because there's hypocrisy in some, then the law must not apply to all. Can't can't do that. You can't do that, okay? So he's saying, he says, okay, here's the stones. Here's the stones, okay? You're, you're incorrect. You're correct in your assessment, but here, who is qualified to execute the judgment? So he acknowledges the law of Moses. Here's the stone. Anyone, anyone, here's your stones, but here's the qualification, he gives us permission to stone her, but with one qualification. You have to be without sin. You have to be without sin. Let's look around in this crowd. Who's the only one qualified? Who's the only one qualified? And what did he do? He forgave her. Isn't that great? One person qualified to throw the stone. And he forgave her. He forgave her. Wow. Wow. Again, he stooped down on the ground. He stooped down and he wrote on the ground. 
He's kind of preoccupied with writing on the ground, okay? They're trying to, you know, ratchet up this moment, and he keeps, he keeps writing on the ground. What's he writing? Everybody wants to know what he's writing. I have a theory, okay? Here's my theory, that he is writing down the names of the women, of those, the girlfriends of those Pharisees that are standing there. So what if you're standing there and all of a sudden he writes, Lisa. Oh, <laughs> Michelle. Hmm. Anybody know who Melinda is out here? Because it says one by one, they start to leave. I bet they did. I bet they did. At this, those who heard begin to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing. He straightened her up and asked, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. So everyone is gone, okay? And she stands exposed spiritually, maybe physically, you know, just standing there in front of Jesus. And I just want you to know, listen, he knows everything. He sees everything. We all stand exposed in the presence of Jesus. There is nothing you've done that you've hidden from him. You can't conceal or hide your sin. There's great similarity in this woman in our lives because we all stand exposed with the darkness of our hearts revealed in the presence of Jesus. Okay? We can't run from God. We can't hide. He knows everything you've ever done. You won't confess your sins to him, but he already knows. He, you know, he already, he already knows. Let me ask you something. Do you struggle with self-condemnation or forgiving yourself? Do you struggle with that? I ask you, what's your worst? What's your worst thing? What's the worst thing that you did? You know, I mean, do you... Do you struggle with self-condemnation and self-forgiveness? Now, everyone has stuff in their past that we just cringe. You know, like, do you ever go, what was I thinking? Why didn't somebody just slap me? You know, what, what, was, I, what was I thinking? All right? Everybody's got things like that, you know, in their past. There's no one perfect, but... Do you have things from your past that regularly come to your mind? I mean, like regularly, like you're just dealing. It just seems like, man, you, you, can't, you can't get past this thing. And it's been five years, 10 years, 20 years, 25 years. And man, you still deal with this. And when it comes to your mind, it still comes with a freshness of the pain and the experience that you had when it, when it happened, okay? Do you still have things in your past that cause you just to be embarrassed and, and to be shamed? Do you have things in your life that happened before that still hold you back today? Things that have happened in the past. Sometimes when you worship, you, you, you are reminded of what you've done in the past or maybe there is something in the future, a way that you would like to serve God, but yet you cannot get past this, this shame and this self-condemnation. Now listen, I, I appreciate when people come and, you know, like they, they want to talk and they want to share things that they've done. And, they, and, and I, I appreciate when people take responsibility for their sins, I mean, I appreciate that, okay? I appreciate when people take ownership and go, hey, I shouldn't have done that. That's part of repentance, okay? That's part of repentance going, I should have known better. I should have done it. I'm sorry. So part of that is correct. But then after that, when we begin to live 
and walk under the guilt and shame of something that Christ has already forgiven me for and turned the page and provided grace for me to walk into my new life. There's the problem, okay? Everybody needs to go, I messed up, I sinned, I was wrong. That's part of repentance. But repentance is not punishing yourself five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years for something that you did that God's already forgiven you, God's already turned the page. That's not part of repentance. That's self-condemnation, okay? And we want to lift, we want to lift that from you, okay? That shouldn't be part of your heart. So she's standing there thinking that she's going to die. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, pulled from bed, and in 15 minutes, I mean, you are, you, there are men with stones. Maybe she had seen it happen before, standing there. I mean, she's, she really thinks this is the moment where she's going to die. All of a sudden, everybody's gone, and it's just her and Jesus. And I love the tenderness and the gentleness because it says he straightened her up. He, he, he picked her up. Hey, come on. Come on, get up. Get up. He straightened her up. Hey, where, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? I don't see them. Where are your, those that are condemning you? I don't see it. I don't see them. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. Neither do, neither do I condemn you. Listen to me. For those of you that continually walk with condemnation and, and, and uh, trouble forgiving yourself, there is therefore now no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. He's, he said, I don't condemn you. He had every right, but he didn't. He has every right in your life, but he didn't. Neither do I condemn you. And I'm sure, I'm sure she went, wow, thank God. Thank God that's over. Boy, this is a bad situation. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But he's not through. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Okay? <laughs> listen, listen. We love forgiveness, don't we? We love forgiveness. But sometimes we want a forgiveness that is not attached to any repentance or change of lifestyle. Okay? Where, you're con where are those that are condemning you? They're not here. I, neither do I condemn you. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now I want you to go and leave this life of sin. Okay? Some of you receive God's forgiveness, but you never try to walk into his holiness and you wonder what's going on in your life. Everybody loves unattached forgiveness. But his forgiveness is attached to the fact that there's a belief that you're going to try to do better with your life. And whatever sin got you in this problem right now that you're going to leave behind. Go and leave your life of sin. And that's some powerful words there. She was forgiven. But now don't, don't go back don't go back to this life. She didn't get what she deserved. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? And we don't get what we deserve, right? Can we just take a moment and praise him? Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you. Thank you for your grace and your forgiveness, Lord. Oh, man, that's great. Great. Verse 31, this last part of this chapter, and we'll be done. To the Jews that had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, okay? If you hold to my teachings, how do I know I'm a disciple? He said, if you hold, if you hold to my teachings, you know, what's going to get me through hard times? Is it experience? Is it a support group? If you hold to his teaching, what's going to free you from, 
the bondage of sin, holding to his teachings. Is it going to be a 12-step program or greater human effort? It's going to be holding to his teachings. Holding to my teachings means, especially for those that are new, you read God's word, you study God's word, you learn God's word, we apply God's word. We're trying to come up with a different form of 20th century Christianity where it's kind of heavy on church attendance, podcast, and online services, and light when it comes to holding to his teachings, all right? So we need to read it. We need to learn it. Listen, listen. Some of you, all you know about the Bible is what you learned in Sunday school. Jonah in the well, that's all you know. You try to apply everything in the world to Jonah in the well. But that's all you know. There's only so much you can do with Jonah in the well. It's not going to help you with adultery. Not going to help you with sin. Not going to help you. Not going to help you when you're mad at your spouse. Well, Jonah did this. So for some of you, it's time for you to grow and move on. He said, who are my disciples? Those that hold to my teachings. They read, they study, they learn, and they apply. And then he said, then he said, you're going to know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we grab God's word and we learn God's word and then we internalize God's word spiritually and intellectually. And he said, once you know the truth, there is a liberating power to God's word and his truth will set you free. All right? But you gotta know it to be liberated. Don't show me how many podcasts you got. That doesn't matter. It comes from you holding, holding to God's word. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, verily I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you're free indeed, okay? We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. Listen, listen. People always think they, they walk in freedom. They always think that they're never prisoners, never slaves. They, all, they, all, they just always think we're free. I got a call from a family when I was pastor in Kentucky. I want you to go visit my husband. He was in the alcohol rehabilitation center. Now, this dude, I mean, I'd been with him on DUI bust, helped got him out of jail. He had been in every teen challenge. I mean, he had a serious problem with alcohol. So, I mean, they've got him in the local alcohol treatment center, and I go by to see him <clears throat> from the family invitation. I walk in there and he's in his white t-shirt, his white clothes, his white sneakers, just like everybody else, all the residents. So I just kind of knock on the door. I didn't know what to do. He comes out, you know, he comes out and uh, we're talking and I said, listen, I just want you to know, man, I'm praying for you. I'm concerned about you. He said, pastor, don't waste a prayer for me. I'm good. He said, and he pointed to that small group. He said, those are the ones that have, that have troubles. And I thought, well, why are you wearing all white then? How come you can't get out at night, all right? Because everybody, you know, kind of goes under this illusion that everybody's free, but in actuality, they're spiritual slaves in spiritual, in spiritual prison. I want to say something else about their, their response when they said we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. A godly heritage never puts you in right standing with God. Because your family served God and your parents served God and you've got this generational, you know, this generational uh, uh, Christi Christianity, that does not mean you're right with God. Everybody's got to make their own decision about Jesus Christ regardless of their family history. 
They're going, hey, we're Abraham's descendants. We're good. We're good. Don't try that on judgment day. Hey, I'm here on the Nugent Hicks ticket. My grandfather and my great-grandfather were pastors, and my mother played the Wurlitzer organ for the church. Don't try that. That's, that's what, we're Abraham's descendants. We're good. You need to thank God if you've got a godly heritage. But when it comes to, you know, it comes to your own faith, you've got to stand before God on your own. All right? Let's go back to this passage. Jesus, he responds to them. He says, a slave carries out the desires of its master. That's what a slave does. The master says the slave does. He's making a, an illustration about sin, that we're slaves to sin. <clears throat> so he's, using, he's using, this, using this analogy. So the slave carries out the desires of the master, okay? They're slaves to sin, okay? A slave is not a member of the family, has no rights or no privileges. The slave is a slave, carries out the desires of the master, He's not in the family. The slave has no rights, no privileges because he's a slave. Now, the son is part of the family with the authority of the family, okay? So resident in the son is the, is the authority, has all rights and all privileges. And the only way that a slave could be freed is by a member of the household that had the authority and the rights vested in them because of the family. And that's why Jesus said, if the son says the slave is free, it is done, it is settled, it is free. He's got the authority to free someone. So I want to say to you this morning, for those that feel like you are locked in prison and you're never going to be free, there is an authority that is vested in the Son, Jesus Christ. And when He says you are free, you're free indeed. He's part of the family. You got all kinds of things going on in your life, temptations, strongholds addictions. I want to tell you something today, and there's this hopelessness that is set in on your life. You never feel like there'll ever be a change in your life. I want you to know there is freedom that is found in the person of Jesus. There is a freedom that is found with salvation that he can wash those sins away and break those chains of slavery off your life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He swings open the prison doors of freedom. Walk in it. Walk in it. When the sun frees you, when the sun frees you, you're free. Free. Go. Go. If we're not careful, we always carry the mentality of the slave that we never can be free. We've always got this mentality of, 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 of of being a slave, and we never really conceptualize the fact that we can walk free and be free, all right? Verse 41, he said, you're doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. It's tough. <clears throat> you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. That's intense, okay? Now listen to me. When we're saved, <clears throat> we're free from spiritual bondage, okay? He saves us. That's part of the salvation process. But in that, it does not mean that we are saved from spiritual warfare. Two different things, he delivers me from bondage, okay? 
But that doesn't mean that over the course of my life, I will not experience spiritual warfare and spiritual attacks, okay? You know, because sometimes, you know, well, it, it, just, it just means, you know, listen, that, 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 that things may come your way and you can't go, well, I'm a Christian, you know, because, you know, spiritual warfare happens. So let's, he said he's the liar. He's a liar. His native language, his native language is lies, okay? As some people, their native language is Spanish. As some, their native language is French. When it comes to the enemy, what's his native language? It's lies. <laughs> Everything he speaks is a lie. He doesn't have the capacity to speak truth or spiritual spiritual truth at all, okay? He sows doubt, fear, discouragement, and temptation. Let's look at some of these lies real quick, all right? God has forsaken you. God's forsaken you. Ever heard that? <clears throat> Where is he? You shouldn't be going through all this stuff. You're a child of God. Why? Why, you know, like, if, if, if God was watching over you, you wouldn't have these problems, okay? Now, that's just a lie. That's just a lie. Because let me just tell you something. Sometimes when you live right, you put a bullseye on your chest for spiritual attacks, okay? <laughs> All right? Sometimes that's not a sign that God's forsaken you. Sometimes it's a sign that you're doing right, that you're living right, Look at Job chapter one, first chapter. It was Job's righteous living that brought an attack from the enemy. So I wanna say to you this morning that hear that lie. God has not forsaken you, okay? His hand is not short that it cannot save and his ear is not deaf when he cannot here. He will walk with you in the fiery furnace. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You will come through without the smell of smoke on you because God is faithful. God's faithful. He doesn't forsake. But that doesn't mean that we don't walk through times of adversity in our life. Don't think because there are problems that God has left. That's when you're going to see God's glory revealed in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise. That's a lie. God's forsaken you. God's forsaken you. Get back to your old life. Who do you think you are? You ever heard that? What are you doing? What are you doing hanging around in church? Going to small groups. You know who you are? You know who you are? You know who you really are? What are you doing giving your money to the church? What are you going, going to a small group, serving? The enemy will say those things to those that Christ has set free. You're a failure. You're worthless. You're the worst sinner that there ever was. You know, he'll, he'll say those things to you trying to discourage you to kind of walk back in that prison and shut that door and become a slave to sin. Again, I want you to know this morning, if you, if you hear that, that's a lie. Remember, he doesn't have the capacity to speak truth. Everything that he says is a lie. I want you to be encouraged this morning to walk in the liberty that Christ has provided for the cross, from the cross of Jesus. Don't pay attention to that lie at all. You got addictions, you got strongholds. Man, you live, you live free. You declare the freedom of, of Christ. Don't let him put that back in your let him put that back in your heart. Worship team, you can come. How about this lie? He reminds you of your past and he accuses you of things that you've been forgiven. <clears throat> that ever happened? This kind of night and day, maybe you go through seasons of just this continual bombardment of your failure. Anybody ever have sin flashbacks? Just random? Whew, where'd that come from? Just reliving terrible episodes of your life. Sometimes these flashbacks and accusations, they occur in church. 
got your hands raised, you're worshiping God. What are you doing? What? Remember, remember this scene? Remember this scene? I just want to remind you that he's the father of all lies, okay? Quit letting the enemy sow the seed that you are unqualified for his service. I want to remind you this morning that you are called, you are anointed, and you are appointed, okay? He has saved you. He has forgiven you. He has empowered you. And there is a destiny that has been created for you in Christ. Don't let that lie take root in your heart. Lies are his native language. <laughs> he, can't, he can't speak truth. So we're going to have a time of prayer at the end. I just want to mention a few things that we're going to pray over this morning. Sometimes people, when they, when they think about their sin in their life, they have a couple of different perspectives. I'm too messed up. I'm just way, I'm too far gone. Well, let me tell you. You don't know some of the jokers that go to church here because they had some screwed up lives, let me tell you. <clears throat> I'm too messed up. Or there are people that go, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need any help. I don't need any help. Kind of like those Pharisees, kind of, you know, two extremes there. We're just going to pray over you this morning. There's no life too messed up that God cannot save, okay? Here's a woman partially clothed in a terrible, terrible situation. Only one person had the power of condemnation, and he chose forgiveness. And he's still doing that today, okay? I want to say, too, that if you're here today and your marriage needs healing, you know, if you've got an imperfect marriage, adultery and straying is not the answer, okay? I believe God can heal. God can restore. Marriage problems don't surface overnight, and the healing and the answer doesn't come overnight as well, okay? But the other is not the answer. But I'm going to just be praying and have prayer this morning for those of you that you're maybe having struggle in your, in your marriage, in your marriage right now. I ask you at in this message, do you feel, you know, do you feel struggle with condemnation, self-condemnation, self-forgiveness? Do you, do you feel like you really have trouble moving on from certain things and they still kind of impact your, your way of thinking and way of life? And then and we're just going to pray over some of those lies the enemy sows in our heart this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with me today? Would you stand with me? <clears throat> if you'll just do me a favor just for a moment, if you'll just bow your head. I just want to do a time of prayer here. If you're here today, maybe your heart, your life is not where it should be with the Lord. And there's no condemnation, I promise. But we just want to pray over you today. Maybe you've kind of strayed in your walk, your intentions, your life right now is not where you really planned it to be. You just want to give some things back over to the Lord this morning. If you're here and that's kind of your prayer today, would you just do me a favor up and down? Would you just raise your hand really quick and just say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. I'm just not where I, I should be in my walk with the Lord. Yeah, I see some hands today that I understand. No condemnation, no condemnation, no condemnation, no condemnation. Pastor, I struggle with just self-condemnation and self-forgiveness. I just cannot seem to move on from certain episodes in my life you just pray for me this morning just real quick up and down would you just raise your hand yeah 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 
be some of those lies that the enemy has sown in your heart. God's forsaken you. Go back to your old life. Who do you think you are? Just the continual reminding of your, of your past. So Lord, I pray this morning for those that may be here, may be watching online. And Lord, they're not where they should be with you today. Lord, I pray. God, I pray that you will call them to yourself. Lord, you'll forgive them. Lord, I pray that you'll hear the prayer that they're praying even now of repentance and forgiveness. God, I pray for those. I pray that they'll experience new life, that transformation from darkness into light, old man into new man, Lord, law into grace. Lord, I pray over those this morning, Lord, who are making Jesus Lord of their life. I thank you for that this morning. Lord, I pray over every marriage, Lord, that it's going through some difficulty today. Lord, I pray for decaying marriages that have trouble, having some trouble, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'll, you'll just put healing in their hearts, Lord. I pray that you'll just put healing in their hearts. Lord, we don't want any, anything else that would complicate that. So, Lord, I pray. I pray for healing I pray for forgiveness. I pray for communication. I pray for restoration of every marriage, Lord, that's having a difficult season right now, Lord. I pray that you'll provide the grace, Lord, that two people, Lord, that can find themselves in this marriage, they're just not going to tolerate this season. But, Lord, you can, you can restore. You can restore and bring back what they had before. Lord, I pray that restoration in their life. Lord, I pray for those that are walking through self-condemnation, can't seem to forgive themselves. Lord, I pray over them today. Lord, I pray over this passage from Hebrews, Lord, that the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, let him cleanse our consciences from the acts that led to death so that we may serve the living God. And I pray in the mind, in the heart, in the conscience, Lord, I pray they will be liberated. Lord, they will be free. Lord, they will accept, Lord, the work that you've done on the cross. Any shame, any embarrassment, Lord, they'll walk free. Lord, they're, they're not going to be condemned anymore. Lord, they're going to the, walk free today. They're going to walk free today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hey, that's for some of you this morning. I'm just telling you. He said he's going to cleanse your conscience from acts that led to death so that you can serve the living God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.